Would you stand for just a moment as we read in Titus chapter 3? We're going to begin reading in verse 8. We'll read on through to the end of the chapter here. Beginning in verse 8 of Titus chapter 3, the Bible says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee and Tychius, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenith the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. And uh, I guess, you know, you could have looked at this in a couple of different ways. I thought of uh, when I read it uh, that the idea of profitable, good and profitable, and then the idea of unprofitable and vain, you could have named the message. But really, it's about maintaining good works. And uh, a lot of folks believe that maintaining good works or doing good works is what saves them, and the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible definitely teaches us as believers, those that have trusted Christ as Savior, we ought to maintain good works. And so I titled tonight's message to maintain good works. And so I want to challenge us in our thinking a little bit tonight, and uh, there should always be a conscious decision to apply ourselves to all that is good. And the Bible teaches us to avoid that which is foolish and that which is unfruitful, to stay away from those things, but we ought to apply ourselves to those things that are good. Uh, think about it, how uh, throughout the week, uh, those things that uh, I remember when uh, I first got married, um, uh, Nintendo was pretty big. And so when I first got married, my uh, brother-in-law gave me a Nintendo. And, uh, and uh, I was usually a reader. I like to read, and I usually like to be outdoors, and I would go outdoors, but I started playing this Nintendo game. Now, this is back in the day whenever you stuck the cartridge in the top of it and you pushed it down like a VCR. And uh, so that's kind of what it looked like. And uh, there was a particular race car game that it had, and I, I remember I kept playing this thing and playing this thing and playing this thing. And I, I found myself for hours on end sitting in front of the television with this device trying to win this thing because you could actually win this race. And, and I thought, man, I, if I could just win this race. And so I remember winning it. And so some obnoxious hour in the morning, like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I finally had won, knowing that I had to get up at 6 in the morning to go to work. And, and I had won, and, and I just couldn't wait. I had to show Anita. I was trying to you know, take pictures and send it off to my cousin or to my uh, brother-in-law, Timothy, and wanted to do all of this. Man, I was just so excited that I'd won this thing. And, and Anita wakes up in the morning, and I wake up, and I, I said, look, honey, I won last night. She goes, that's great. And she turned it off. And it was saying, congratulations, and the fireworks are going off. And I thought, man, what a waste of time. And sometimes we do a lot of things that are nothing but a waste of time. They're unprofitable and vain. Empty, aren't they? There's no value in it. And so because I won the game, what did that prove? That I could stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning and use a joystick, right? <laughs> I mean, that's what it proved. And so it's unprofitable at times. Now, the general warning from Paul to Titus was to involve yourself in those areas of life and ministry that are profitable. He has this phrase that he says here, maintain 
good works. When I think about maintaining, that's maintenancing, isn't it? It's to keep on going or to keep on doing these things, to make sure that you're after them, maintain good works. If you're maintaining a property, what are you doing? You're keeping after it, aren't you? Uh, my brother said something to me on the uh, phone the other day, and uh, it was just in the course of our talking, and, and, uh, and he said, you know, he was trying to talk to his, his daughter, Belle, and he said, you know, Belle, how you practice is how you play. How you practice is how you're going to play. Now, I promised him I wouldn't give him any credit for this, and I said I would never tell anybody that he told me this, but uh, I said uh, he gets no proceeds from this, and Calvary Chapel will not be sending him a check in the mail because he told me this. But how you practice is how you play. How are you practicing as a Christian? What are you doing all week? Because, see, how you practice is how you play, isn't it? And so if there's no uh, effort, no practice, and you busy yourself with the wrong things, what outcome is there going to be for that? And when you consider it to practice or to busy yourself with those things that are valuable or those things that are virtuous in your labor or your occupation, those are good things because something of value comes from that. And when you invest your time in that which is good, it's evident according to the scriptures that that type of labor is profitable according to God. And so what are you investing your time in? Do you invest any time in prayer? Do you invest any time in reading the scriptures? Do you invest any time in studying the Bible? When you really consider what you invest your time in, think about it for just a moment. Where do you place your investments? And, and if you are a person that's investing in the scriptures, investing in the word, how you practice is how you'll play, won't you? So when you go out during the week, Christ will be on your mind. The thoughts of souls will be on your mind. The thoughts of uh, serving the Lord, serving others, that'll be on your mind. But if it's Nintendo all week, what's going to be on your mind? And so how you practice is how you what? Play. Now, I believe this year, and you guys write this down, I believe that the Cleveland Browns are actually going to go into the playoffs. You can write that down, Chris. Now, you said, Pastor, you said that one time before. We won't win 16, right? Uh, I'm, I'm saying I think the way they're practicing right now, I watched them practice on TV the other day. They're good. They're actually good. And they actually have a good court. Look, Charlie's back there. He's nodding already. They're going to the Super Bowl, you know. And, uh, but the thing of it is, is how they practice is how they play. And so I want you to consider yourself in this. When devoting your time to that which is empty or a waste of time, that which is unprofitable, whether it's ministry or another occupation, we are uh, finding ourselves to be unfruitful, but God wants us to do those things which are fruitful and valuable. And so what are those things according to the truth of God's Word? When God tells us to maintain good works, and when Paul's saying to Titus maintain good works, what's he talking about? And so what kind of good works are we discussing here? And so he wants us to be fruitful uh, for the Lord. He wants us to do those things which are valuable for the Lord. So here's the thought. Do you attempt to maintain good works as a testimony of your relationship with Jesus Christ? See, you don't do good works so that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ or that you might get to heaven. You do good works because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you do that to show forth those things that would glorify God. So this takes a conscious effort to apply yourself to what is that which is good. So when the Lord commands us to maintain good works, uh, he says this in this first verse. He said, this is a faithful saying. You ought to underline that in your Bible. This is worth talking about. 
This is worth talking about. This is a faithful saying. This is worth talking about. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly. In other words, he said, not only is this worth talking about, but I can get behind this. When you affirm something, that means you're behind it, doesn't it? I mean, uh, you're getting affirmation. And he said, I affirm. Notice how he said it. I affirm it constantly. In other words, this is never not something that I would not get behind. And he said that they which believed in God might be careful. That word careful means that they're looking for or opportunity to or they're seeing opportunity before them to do something. And he said, what is that? Careful to maintain good works. Now he says these things are good and profitable unto men. These are what's good and profitable. He's telling us what we should be doing. And then he mentions that in verse 9 to avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable in vain. So there's conversations that we get into with folks that are just not of any value. When you argue over the Bible, you're wasting your time because you're just arguing. And you want to win a fight or you want to win an argument, but is it really that you want to win them to the Lord? And so it's not any value in arguing over those things. It's unprofitable to do that. And then he talks about this. He tells them in the latter part of this, and he says in verse 14, And let us also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. In other words, we want to avoid unfruitfulness. We want to be fruitful in our lives. We want something to come from what we're doing. So when he talks about this being good and profitable, Paul begins to close out this letter to his friend Timothy, and he said, this is a faithful saying. This is worth talking about. This is worth talking about, Titus. And so he writes this to him. So what he's about to share with him, he wants him to have confidence as well as following the words uh, here that they're trustworthy. You can count on these words that I'm about to tell you. And he says, I want you to kind of get a hold of this. And there is such confidence that can be had from a man or a woman who uses the basis of their statements to be from the Word of God. And then he realizes that the Lord fulfills his will. This is what he's talking about. Paul's like, look, my confidence is not in myself. I'm telling you this is a faithful saying because this is the Word of God. This is what God desires from us. And listen, he has great confidence in this, and he's communicating this to Titus. And he said, this is where my confidence is. So when Paul commits to the statement faithful, it's not about trustworthiness in him, but confidence in where his faith lie. And all that he told Titus, it's all summed up in verses 1 through 7. Because he said, this is a faithful saying. So you've got to go back and read verses 1 through 7. What is a faithful saying? Well, he goes through and he says, look, here's how you treat people. Here's how you treat governments. Here's how we're to treat one another. We need to recognize that Christ is coming again. We need to know all these things. He said, this is a faithful saying. And so our role, our responsibility, Titus, is to maintain good works through all of these things. And so he challenges him in that way. In other words, we do not swerve from the truth, but we stick with that which is profitable. It is to the point that Paul tells him to be very assertive about maintaining these good works and encourage others to do the same. There is nothing, listen to me folks, there is nothing wrong about encouraging people to be in church. Nothing wrong with that at all. If they don't come, there's nothing wrong with picking up the phone and calling and saying, hey, we missed you today. There's nothing wrong with that. God said to provoke them to love and to good what? Works, didn't he? There is nothing wrong with us calling somebody up and saying, hey, I missed you this morning. Do it. It's okay. You don't have to be mean about it. Hey, where were you? That's not the idea, but hey, hey, we missed you today. We missed you today. And, and so let them know, but listen, encourage them to be in church. Hey, the world's encouraging them to do a whole lot of other things, isn't it? 
And, and, and listen, God wants us to encourage people to come to his house. He definitely wants us to do that. So in, in the point that Paul's here, he said, be assertive about this. This demonstrates a confidence in the word of God and your faith in Christ Jesus. And listen, we have to persevere in truth. I have people tell me all the time, I do not have to go to church. Then you don't care about what Christ died for. I'm sorry, you don't. If this means nothing to you, the gathering of these people and coming together means nothing to you, then there's a problem. And your problem's not with me. Your problem's not with the people in here, which most people will blame other people for the people problems that they have. But the reality of it is, is this. It's about their relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, if it was important enough for him to die for, it ought to be important enough for us to provoke people to come, shouldn't we? We ought to provoke people. Now, the idea of provoking doesn't mean that you're always poking, but it does mean that you're prodding them to do that which is right. And so to maintain good works, we need to be under the preaching of the Word of God. I shared with someone the other day, I said, when I started really taking notes in church, that's when I really started remembering the messages, and then I started applying God's Word. You see, because we could just sit in a service and do nothing. We could just let it go by. And we'll leave, and we heard something. We know words came out of that man's mouth. We know that it went into our ears. And if you were to say to you, hey, what did he preach on last night? Clueless. Have no idea. Don't even know what the title of the message was. I challenge my kids, whether I'm standing at the pulpit or whether someone else is, I said, what was preached? You see, when I was gone, I asked them, what did you preach? When I was gone, I said, what did he preach? See, I didn't let them get away with it. They thought, well, Dad's not there tonight. <laughs> First thing I asked them, I said, what did Chris preach on? And they said, well, he preached on, and he was talking about your thought life. You see, I'm listening to hear what they heard. And the thing of it is, is that I do not not want you to come here and not hear anything. By the way, you can hear without hearing. Are you with me? You can let words go into your head and not hear a thing. It's just like I told you, how many of you have picked up a letter or you've picked up a document and you've read it and you got to the bottom of it and you have no idea what you've read, right? It happens to us even in a service. We'll come to a service and we know words are coming out of that man's mouth and it's like being the Charlie Brown scene where uh, Lucy's in school and, and all she hears is wah, 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 wah. What did they teach on? I don't know. Wah, 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 wah. I have no idea. It takes effort, doesn't it, to engage ourselves. It takes effort. When I'm sharing this with you, this demonstrates a confidence in the Word of God and your faith in Christ Jesus as you persevere in the truth. Paul said uh, to him and to us, they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. In Matthew 5, 16, you all know this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, that they might glorify your Father which is in where? Heaven. So why did Paul say maintain good works? <laughs> why did he tell them that? Why did he say this is a faithful saying? Because Christ himself said it, didn't he? This is a faithful saying. It wasn't Paul just breathing a hot air. It was Paul saying, listen, Titus, you need to understand that we need to do this. And you need to promote this. And you need to provoke others to do this. You need to encourage people to do those things which are right. In Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, right? To provoke. If I'm provoking somebody, you think about that for just a moment. You say, well, I just don't quite like that word. Well, you have to take that up with God. But it does mean to agitate them, to get them to do what's right. 
to aggravate them almost, to get to them to do what's right. And how many of you have heard say, well, I just don't want to agitate him. I don't want to aggravate him. Yet God told me to agitate and aggravate him so that I can do it. So that I can encourage them to come and do those things which are right. Provoke them unto love. Provoke them unto good works. Encourage them to do these things. Cause them to want or desire to do these things. Talk to them about it. I never stop talking to my kids about doing that which is right. I never, I never stop asking them, did you read your Bible this morning? Did you pray to God this morning? Did you spend time with the Lord? What did you read this morning? And you can ask Callie. She's come over to our house after church, and one of the things that I asked my children when I came home, what did you learn today? Not necessarily just in the preaching time. What did you learn in Sunday school? What did you learn in church? What did God teach you today? <laughs> Do you know why? I want to provoke them. I want them to think, well, he's going to ask me some questions. I've got to remember something here, right? And we ought to do that with one another. We ought to provoke each other to those good things. You know, when we're serving or when we're working, all that you labor in, we're told to use or to exercise thought before doing. Show some concern for what you're doing. <laughs> think about it a little bit. Think about what you're doing. Even when you're out in public, folks, think about it. Think about your behavior, your actions. I had a conversation with someone on the, other, on the phone a couple of days ago, and, and the person professes to be saved, but boy, the foul language. Woo! And I thought, my goodness, God help them. And I just think to myself, how do you behave that way and then in the same right turn and tell somebody about Jesus? How are you going to do that? And, and, the, and the idea is, is that I want to provoke you to do good things. I want to provoke you to love and to good works, not to do wrong. These things are good and profitable unto men are all about the actions or the labor that pertain back to verses first, uh, 1 through 7. To maintain good works is a testimony of your relationship with Christ or to take into account good works, those deeds, those actions, our occupation even, and make sure that when we're out there we're pleasing the Lord. Second thing is this. Our labor or our occupation can be empty and not bring honor to the Lord. I'm going to share a story with you. Jose Gonzalez was a young man that I won to the Lord years ago. Jose uh, was uh, coming to church, and, and we had a prayer meeting, and I invited him to the prayer meeting, and he was just newly in the Lord. And Jose came to the prayer meeting, and, and he was in there, and Jose wore his hair real long, and uh, just wore his hair real long. And he came to the prayer meeting, and so we're going around the table and we're praying. And I didn't anticipate him praying. He just got saved. And he came around after he got saved. came around it was his turn. He started praying. And I thought, man, that was one of the most sincere prayers I'd ever heard in my life. I hadn't heard a man pray that way in a long time. Because believe me, guys, don't we get rote in our prayers? We just kind of say it because it's just what we do. We're not really thinking anymore about what the words are that are coming out of our mouth to our Lord. We just say them. That's one of the most sincere prayers that I'd heard. After we got done with the prayer meeting, he then looked over at me and he said, Pastor, he said, I got a question for you. Should I get my hair cut? I said, well, let me show you what the Bible says. And when I turned the Bible around, I showed it to him. Next time I saw him, he had his hair all cut short. <laughs> now, I didn't tell him he had to do it. I just said, I just want to show you what the Bible says. And so he went ahead and got it done. Next time I see Jose, he, man, he's on fire for God. And then Jose came to me. He said, Pastor, I'm having a struggle. I got an opportunity for a job. He said, it's over here 
And he said, I won't be in the bar, but I'll be working for a bar. I said, I wouldn't do that, Jose. I said, God will give you something else. He said, well, I have to feed my family. I'm going to, go to t- I'm going to take the job. I said, Jose, let me caution you against taking that job. I said, it's going to be bad for you if you do. And it didn't take long. And before long, I saw Jose, and I saw him smoking cigarettes again. <laughs> and I saw Jose kind of running with the wrong friends again. I saw Jose doing things that were taking him away from the Lord and not drawing him closer to the Lord. And before long, and if you met Miss Shauna, his wife, she was the sweetest lady I'd ever met in my life. And he divorced her. Now I have good news. James McGowan, who's down in Colonial Beach, he kept working with him, kept working with him, kept working with him, kept working with him. And he finally got his heart right with God again. And he remarried his wife. (laughs) And I'm just grateful that God works, you know what I mean? And God gave him a second opportunity, if you will, right? Actually, a third, because he's already been saved. So he gave him a third opportunity. But here's the thing. He started to do things that were unprofitable for him. He started to do things because this is just the way the world does it, or this is just what other people do, or this is just how you do it. And he begins to do those things. And it was unprofitable for him. And see, what happened was, is the job that he had, it became a vain situation for him. And so when you look at this, I want to talk to you about these unprofitable and vain things. It says here uh, in verse 9, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Our actions, our attitude, our behavior can bring glory to God or dishonor His name before others. And there are some who persist in causing disputes. Would you agree with that? People just like to argue sometimes. And they want to cause problems. And Jose got to the place where he would come and see me, and the one thing he wanted to do is he wanted to argue over the Bible now. And I said, Jose, I'm not going to argue with you. I just want you to read it. And I want you to see what God said. And listen, we can argue with people all day long, but it's not going to prove anything. Paul provides Titus with a list of people types or actions that are empty in their attempts to glorify God or to help others in their relationship with God. He said, avoid foolish questions. And the thing of it is, is sometimes some questions are just absurd, aren't they? (laughs) That's what he said. He said some questions are just absurd. How many of you have had teachers tell you, oh, there's no dumb questions? Yes, there are. I'm sorry. I've even asked some. (laughs) I've asked some dumb questions in my life. And, And the thing of it is, there's things that are just absurd at times. I had a group of teenagers when I was in Colonial Beach, and they all came in, and and we held this big event at the church, and so we had teenagers coming from all over the place, and I mean, just rough character, some of them. But we had all these events and activities, so I brought them in, and I sat them down, and I said, now listen, I said, I'm going to give you an opportunity, you can ask me any question you want. But when we're done, I get to ask every one of you a question. <laughs> and so, are we all on the same page? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. And some of the questions that came proved to me that there's a God. So I opened the Bible and I said, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. (laughs) I said, there's your proof. In the beginning, God. So we went on down the line and one thing after another and just, just some of the most absurd questions. And the most absurd thing that I heard. I started to share the gospel with one young man and he said, I can't do that right now. Our team director... Our team director told us that we don't need to be challenged with that right now to whether we're going to go to heaven or hell. Whoa. 
I wanted that teen director's name because I wanted to go talk to him and see if he was saved. Everybody needs to be challenged with the gospel. <laughs> the foolish things that they're doing, it's absurd sometimes, isn't it? And, and, and what happens is, is they get into these vain things and these foolish things and, 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 and they just sit there and they just want to talk and, and we're just going to have a powwow here. This isn't a powwow. This is the preaching of the Word of God. <laughs> and the Bible's clear that it's appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment, everybody's going to face it. And if you're 12 or 13 or 14 and you have enough knowledge to be able to sit there and play Nintendo for hours on end, you've got enough knowledge to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to open the scriptures for you and show you. He said, avoid foolish questions, those things that are observed, uh, absurd. Avoid genealogies, tracing back generations, which is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to do all the time. Our heritage is everything. And then avoid contentions, that quarreling and that debate. Avoid strivings about the law, battling or fighting over God's word. And all of this behavior, he said, it's unprofitable, it's vain, it's empty. There's no value in doing that. None. And so how many have been almost trapped by the questions of others just to create contention? And you'll have that happen from time to time. And they just want to argue. They just want to battle. And uh, one of the things that I got hit up with, and you've heard me share this before, uh, someone said to me, is Mother Teresa in heaven? I said, if she trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior, yes. If she did not, no. <laughs> surely Mother Teresa is in heaven. I said, if she trusted Jesus Christ. Well, surely Princess Diana is in heaven. And I said, if she trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior, she's in heaven. But it was just to argue, just to fight, just to... Well, if someone has this character about them or this characteristic, surely they're in heaven. If they've trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are. Right? And so you see these old tactics. Uh, you know, this isn't new. I mean, uh, Satan did it with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Satan did it with Cain and Abel, did he not? Uh, uh, Satan got in the middle of uh, Hannah, or Haman and Mordecai. How many of you remember that story? Hey, Satan got in the middle of uh, Jesus Christ and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you see in Proverbs 15, 18, 16, 28, 17, 14, and 19, he said, a wrathful man stirreth up strife. There's men that just want to cause contention. That is just in their name. That's what they want to do. And he goes on and he says, a forward man soweth strife. In other words, I'm going to create an environment that's tough. The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it be meddled with. He loveth transgression that loveth strife, and he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. Listen, all that God tells us is a man that is like that, that's seeking out strife, that has a contentious uh, nature about them. Listen, we need to avoid that. We need to stay away from that kind of spirit and that kind of attitude. But listen to this. In Proverbs 20 and verse 3, the Bible says, it is an honor for a man to cease from strife. <laughs> it's honorable to stop it. It's honorable to cause it to stop or to cease. Paul told Titus to reject or avoid men who are contentious and who know that those who oppose Christ can and will become contentious, and they try to create strife. In Matthew 22, 15, and 18, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. <laughs> how they might entangle him in his talk. But Jesus perceived their wickedness. What did he say? When they're trying to do this, this is wicked. 
They're just trying to catch them in their words. And it says, But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? You bunch of actors and actresses. Why are you trying to do that? Why are you in that mode? In Mark 12, 13, And they said unto him certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians to catch him in his words. They wanted to catch him off guard, didn't they? Oh, Jesus is so smart, though, isn't he? Like, you watch that. Like, when you read that, how, how excited do you get when you read it? And you just watch what Jesus did to them. He caught them in their own, right? You know what I love that he did when they asked him a question? He said, man, I asked you a question first. You answer mine, and then I'll answer yours. <laughs> he was smart, wasn't he? We had a great Savior. It said in Luke 20, 20, and they watched him and sent forth spies which should fiend themselves just men that they might take hold of his words so that they might deliver him under the power and authority of the governor. They were trying to catch him in his words. We see that today. I mean, they, they try to catch Donald Trump in every tweet that he puts out. <laughs> every opportunity that they get. Now, he, he helps them out a little bit, I promise you. <laughs> he helps them out quite a bit at times, but... But the thing of it is, is that they're trying to always catch him in his words. Paul told Titus, people that behave this way, listen to this, are warped. <laughs> he said they're absolutely warped. They're perverse in their ways. They're perverted. They're always looking for or finding fault with others, especially those that are godly. They want to find fault with them anytime they can. These are the type of people that will almost do anything to go contrary to the truth of God's word. They'll do it just to, just to cause, uh, just to be contrawise, <laughs> just to go against God, just to go against truth. And by these types of actions that are vain, empty, and unprofitable, they're subjecting themselves to self-condemnation, going against that which pleases God. In 2 Timothy 2.25, in meekness, and this is talking to us, instructing those that oppose themselves, that's actually what they're doing. They're condemning themselves by behaving in that nature, in that manner. So if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, in other words, try to turn them back toward what is right and try to keep them from what is wrong. But if they're going to argue and they're going to be contentious and they're going to create wrath and they're going to create strife, listen, it is unprofitable and vain for us to get into conversations with them. God literally said, dust your feet off and walk away. <laughs> Go away from them. To maintain good works is a testimony of your relationship with Christ. Avoid unprofitable or vain attitudes, actions, or behavior. And listen, in your ministry, in your labor, in your occupation, in your daily walk, avoid it. The last thought is this. We're to make every effort to be productive as Christians. He said in verse 14 that we are to, uh, that they be not unfruitful. In other words, we need to avoid unfruitfulness. We need to be fruitful in our actions. Paul provides some personal information about various people. I thought it was interesting because he went through all this, and then he starts naming a bunch of people. And, you know, when you first read something, you say, why? What, what, you know, what's, what's it about all these people? And I began to look at something here. He challenged them, if you look at this. He said here, when I shall send Artemis unto thee, Tychius, uh, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. So Paul said, look, I'm going to be staying over here. This is where I'm going to be hanging out. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be here. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently. In other words, get them here as quickly as you can. Now notice this, that nothing be wanting unto them. It was a challenge, wasn't it? He just told them, he's provoking them to good works, and he said, now listen, send these guys to me. I'm over here. I'm going to be over here for a while. But when they come, make sure that they don't have a single solitary need when they arrive. I want you to take care of them when they go. Brother Knickerbocker's coming, isn't he? 
That's God's man for the week. <laughs> That's who God provided for us for Wednesday through Friday and all day Sunday, and we ought to take care of that man when he shows up here. <laughs> we ought to take care of him. Why? Because he's coming to bring God's word to us. Boy, we ought to be excited about it too, amen? We ought to be excited in our hearts. We ought to be wanting this to take place. And listen, there should be no wants in his life when he arrives here. <laughs> his needs should be taken care of because he's coming to feed us, isn't he? He's coming to give us something. And so I challenge us with that thought, and this is what Paul's doing. And again, we also see a need for Paul to obtain this counsel. He said, bring Zenos on their journey, uh, that nothing be wanting unto them. Paul wanted them to come quickly, but to make sure their needs are taken care of on their trip. This shows the need to put forth effort and labor into fruitful and valuable ways that would obviously benefit Paul and would obviously benefit the ministry. Both of them will. And it obviously was going to be a benefit to Paul, but it was obviously going to be a benefit to all of them because Paul was ministering to people. And as he goes to minister, we ought to take care of those that are ministering. This shows that here in this passage. Mark 4.20 says, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Right? <laughs> And Paul said, hey, send those guys over to me. And listen, I don't want them to have a need for anything. And he goes right into this fact. And let ours also learn to maintain good works. Let us do the same thing. Let us do the same thing. <laughs> hey, Titus, let us do the same thing. Let us be people of good works. Let us maintain good works. Some 100, some 30, some 60. This is made abundantly clear when Paul tells Titus, and let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses. <laughs> I like that. Isn't that good? Necessary uses. <laughs> necessary uses. Things that are necessary for things to happen. And by the way, it takes fuel to get here, doesn't it? It takes fuel to get here. It's going to take fuel to leave here. But we ought to do everything we can to do as much as we can for that man when he arrives. And we ought to take care of him because he's God's man for this coming week. We ought to do everything we can to invite people to be here, to hear the Word of God, and do everything that we can. What are we doing? Provoking people to good works. Let's provoke as many as we possibly can to be here, to hear these things. Not just so we can promote Brother Knickerbocker, but that we can promote Jesus Christ, because he's going to come and preach about him. I promise you that. I promise you he's going to talk about things that are necessary in your lives and in your homes, and there's going to be some nugget that you need, and God's going to give it to you, but he's got to be here for it. <laughs> got to be here for it. As always, Paul, he closes out his letter, and he's telling Titus to communicate this to all those that serve, and that he gives a list of names of those that were coming to serve, and Paul wanted to use them as examples of somebody that's fruitful being fruitful. And so, as always, he said, greet them that love us in the faith. Greet them. <laughs> in other words, be kind to them. You know, when Brother Knickerbocker comes in, he ought to feel so welcome when he arrives. He ought to feel so welcome when he walks through the door. <laughs> Brother Knickerbocker, we're so glad you're here. <laughs> and we ought to be excited. We ought to thank God for his coming. We are to have a welcoming spirit to our friends who are in the faith, those who are saved and have an assurance of the faith in Christ. We ought to really do everything we can. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, charity suffers long and is kind, isn't it? 
And we ought to be kind. We ought to do everything we can. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another. We ought to be kind. We ought to be thankful. And then he extends a closing to let them know about his love of the faith that he shares. He said, grace be with you all. Amen. Amen, says Sue. I agree with that. <laughs> and folks, what God wants us to do is to maintain some good works. And he wants us to do it in such a fashion that it's profitable. It's good and profitable unto men, not unprofitable in vain. Don't worry about contentious arguments and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but let's be fruitful. Let's be fruitful Christians. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Ask